0: To be true to ourselves, we're going to feel better than we ever have. However, not everyone's going to like that. That's for real. So we're going to have to find those people in our lives who like us as we are, who really are genuine, who we can be genuine around. And that's going to be a smaller circle. It will. Because a lot of people are threatened. Men and women are threatened by someone who is assertive and confident. And then there's some people who, like, idealize someone like that, too. So then you have other people who like you too much. And and that's kind of weird, too. You're just going to have to see all that and be yourself and not pander to an audience. Life is too short. There's an audience of one that we should have. And that's being true to ourselves.
1: Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women, just like me, in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires, and we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. Welcome back to Menopause Mastery. Today, I'm talking to Bronwyn Schwigert. Bronwyn is one of the most evocative, psychotherapist you've probably heard. Instead of fixing people's messes, her goal is to elicit feelings people are most ashamed to have, things such as rage, hatred, anger. She knows that even though these feelings are invisible, they don't evaporate, but they store away in our bodies until they're processed. According to Bronwyn, these feelings, and we all have them, haunt us, and they can even be the underlying cause of mental illness. And it's up until we actually feel them and validate them they will stay there resident. She especially loves playing this sort of midwife in this way, helping her clients really, and now even her podcast listeners, take that painful feeling, the anger, and birth it and allow them to feel it. She's experienced success in helping people break free from depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, even psychosis by really reconnecting with this anger and. relationship with anger and ultimately themselves. So having a healthy relationship with anger allows us to really discern what's true and to trust ourselves. And it really is the necessary step also to creating healthy boundaries and having appropriate assertiveness. And so in today's conversation, we go into how to sort of unwind and unravel these, you know, less than favorable feelings that we have and how to set boundaries and have really great relationships because we have explored these uncomfortable feelings. So welcome to the show, Bronwyn. Thank you. Thank you, Betty. Wow. So this is going to be a fun conversation because I have to give a little bit of background. So I've lived all over the country. I'm actually, Bronwyn and I were talking earlier at And she's from the Sacramento area. And I'm actually originally from Walnut Creek, California. So like, yeah, in the hood. So, but I've lived all over the country, but I've spent the last 25 years as an adult in the Texas area, North Texas. And and I've lived here during some of my early years, you know, teenage years and and elementary school. And one of the things that I think is so interesting, particularly about sort of the Texas sensibility, and I would say the South, because I've also lived in Kentucky and Tennessee, is that we, particularly as women, have been trained to not even allow some emotions out that we perceive as negative right mm. you know like heaven forbid girl bless your heart you can't be angry you can't be frustrated you can't you can't be irritated and heaven forbid yeah. You let it out and let somebody know. I want to dig into this because I love your podcast. I was listening to it. I probably will have some questions about a couple of the podcasts that I listen to. But I want you to go there. Like, as we as as well, go ahead and pull the Band-Aid. <laughs> Let's yeah. talk yep. anger. It yeah. yeah, it's so funny that you say that. I think that's very true. I do have a lot of
0: women tell me that in particular. And we have a label, oh, he's an angry person. And, you know, even that, that term, I want to say, well, is he a breathing person? Because... How are we not angry at times? Like, what is anger? Anger is a natural human response to something being less than ideal. So if you think about if there's a discrepancy between the ideal and the real, how often does that happen? 23 hours a day on a good day? So of course we're going to be angry. And there's a lot of words for angry. We can use resentful. We could use disappointed, frustrated. Betrayed. There's so many words, you know, but of course, we're going to feel some anger. And that's a natural human response. So there's no such thing as an angry person, just like there's no such thing as a breathing person. It's okay to be angry. And I think what you're getting at, Betty, is what we all do when we think anger, we think of like someone who's bellicose, someone who is, you know, violent, either physically or verbally. And they're just dangerous and they're just exploding and their anger is taking over and and why does that have to be anger you know why can't we just feel you know in our chest as often we do feel angry at a situation and say you know what that's not okay you talking to me like that right now that's not okay so why can't that be a manifestation of anger why can't we channel in a healthy way and so if we view it as extreme like me attacking you because it's not okay, then the opposite is what we usually do, especially as women. We suppress it and we pretend like we're not feeling resentful or angry or frustrated or betrayed. And so we suppress it and then we get sick. We get sick. And so I'm a therapist and I, you know, that's my specialty is anger, suppressed anger, because everyone who comes to me is sick in one way or another because of their suppressed anger. And that's over a lifetime.
1: Um, as well as just you know, as you go, day by day. like you know, it's funny, you know, I, I, I i'm I'm fairly in touch with my anger. I would say. And I always tell people I'm like, the emotion I want to get to, I need to get to anger because for me, that's a an- an emotion of movement, right? Because that means I'm going to not act out against anybody, but I'm going to get into action, which usually means I'm getting myself out of whatever I feel like I'm into. But I think, you know, what I've heard a lot over the last two decades with our clients and patients is I think a lot of times we're afraid it's like Pandora's box. So if I let that little shred yeah. of anger out, like mm-hmm. if I let if I express what I'm feeling right now, that it's going to be this rage, A raging machine. Mm -hmm. Talk about that, because I think I think that's a real underlying issue. That is a great
0: question, Betty. And I actually, I'm so glad you asked it because it is very, very true. We do have that kind of intuition, like, well, if I let myself get in touch with my anger, and I I talk about anger. We all have a relationship with anger and we have to make it a healthy relationship. If we want to be healthy people, we all have one. So if it's suppressed or if it's, you know, exploding, whatever. But we think a lot of my clients will tell me if I get in touch with my anger, if I start, it will never end. I don't know. I have so much suppressed anger that all these things are going to come flooding to the surface. And I agree. And I
1: think we do that with our sadness, too, and, and other feelings. But anger is the most frightening. Absolutely. Now, you kind of mentioned that that it's obviously this sort of underlying cause for for conditions and symptoms and diseases. But specifically, you have worked professionally a lot with people, obviously, with depression, anxiety, psychosis, all those different things. Talk a little bit about that and sort of how it plays a role in mental illness or slash the ways we label our mental state, because I think that's a big part of why people still seem frustrated because they might be in therapy, they might be doing treatments and they feel like they're stuck.
0: Yeah. So I I love working with clients who come to me and are like, you know, I have panic attacks. And, you know, the last therapist just helped me to do breathing and be mindful and to stay present and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it works in the moment, but I'm still having all these panic attacks. And, And I'll just say, yeah, what were you angry at when you, right before the panic attack? Like, who pissed you off? Let's be honest. Or what memory? What trigger did you have in the present that reminded you of a betrayal from your childhood? That's It's always that. It always is. The anxiety, the panic attack, the depression. I myself became a therapist because of my um, battle with depression and my depressive episodes were so debilitating. And, you know, I could tell you more about that. What I will say in retrospect is I had three kind of like ongoing almost coming up and down major depressive episodes that were, like I said, debilitating. Looking back, every one of those three I see now was suppressed anger, every single one. And if I, at the time, felt entitled to say, you know what, that's not okay, actually. If I felt entitled to be like, I am angry, it's okay to be angry. That is an okay feeling to have. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. And and what I can do with my anger is I can be assertive and I can have a boundary. If I felt entitled to do that, I would have never been depressed like I was for year, two years straight. So yeah, it really is suppressed anger and even psychosis mania. And I would actually argue addictions and compulsive behaviors are also rooted in suppressed anger.
1: Absolutely, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your personal story. Cause you know, the reality, especially when I think people are in sort of the healing arts, we're here to help other individuals. A lot of times it's because of our own experience, Right, you know, people don't go into that without having maybe been through their own pain of some sort. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to go a little deeper. Obviously, depressive depressive experiences. You definitely went down that road, but Mm -hmm. if you're willing to share,
0: yeah. So I'm a therapist who's this is my second career. My first, I have another master's in actually nutrition. So I never expected to, you know, to circle back and change my career path. But my husband and our very young daughter we had to move during the Great Recession. And it was to the Bay Area, actually to Oakland. And you know, it's only about an hour and a half away from where we live here in Sacramento, but it was like other side of the moon to me. It was like, I could have moved to a different planet, would have felt the same. I was triggered a childhood move that was very devastating for me. And it also triggered the loneliness that I had felt as a 10-year-old from that move. And so I felt so alone. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a job. I just put my daughter in kindergarten. I felt so alone and I felt so purposeless. And I just, you know, fell into this depression to the point where I didn't know what was going on. I would be walking down the street, I would vomit involuntarily. I'd be driving on the freeway and I would vomit. Like I didn't even know that you can be that depressed. That's actually a thing. So I went to a therapist who was not helpful. All she did was listen. Didn't help me see. Well, yeah, you're lonely as hell because you just moved. And this is triggering what happened when you were 10 and you were lonely back then. And, you know, this is triggering. I needed someone to do that for. I needed someone to be a reflection, to be a mirror, to mirror back to me so that things made sense. Anyway, I went to another therapist. She was no better. Between the two of them, I just thought to myself, you know, I'm barely functioning right now, but I know I could be a better therapist than they are. Mm -hmm. So that's when I said, I'm going back to school and
1: becoming a therapist. And that was part of my healing journey at that time. That's funny. I've I've had three careers, you know, three, three different college experiences. I didn't go to med school in the 80s because I thought it was going to take too long and too much money. Now I've exceeded both. (laughs) But you get to where you need to go through your own circuitous route, you know. So it was like you had to probably go through that pain to become the therapist that you are, right? So it's you know the world happens for us, not to us. But it is funny when you look at it, and you're like, I never would have thought I came here, but now I am. So I want to go back to you talked a little bit about the anger and the suppressed, you know, suppressed feelings and how it manifests. So what are some of the ways that you know, let's say, I'm going to say a woman, but obviously a man could be listening to this too. Like, what are some of the ways that they could possibly possibly open those doors to their anger? Because like I said, man, I live in the South and you just, you're not allowed to do that. That's like, you need to keep that bottled up and uh, tap on, right? So what are some ways that maybe if they aren't working with a therapist, they might be able to explore their own experiences of anger and how they might be able to sort of see where that may be playing a role?
0: Yeah, I would start with So I view anger as a light on the dashboard of your car saying, check the engine, check under the hood, something is wrong. So I would start with that being our new lens, our new view of anger. It's not bad. I know I was raised to not get angry. Don't be angry. It's a sin or whatever. But right now I'm going to view it as a light on the dashboard telling me something is wrong. And so therefore, my anger is trying to communicate something that something is wrong, something needs attention, something needs repair. So that's where I would start. It's just our orientation, our posture towards our anger. It's valid and it's God-given. If you want to talk about, you know, the Bible Belt, I say anger is God-given emotion to say, hey, check out what's going on. Something's off and needs to be repaired. So that is, you know, that's the first and foremost. And then knowing it's here for a reason, it's valid, I can be angry without blowing up, without saying something I regret, I can just say, "Hmm, you know, actually, it isn't okay that 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 man just told me I can do this. And now he's withholding it. And you know, yeah, he's actually kind of being really manipulative. And actually, that's not okay. And can I do better? I can say, hey, can I please speak to your supervisor? Because you're telling me, you know, something
1: different. And I'm, I'm losing faith in, in you. Yeah, so from what you're really saying, it's like, A, number one, identify it, and then B, start using small opportunities in which to sort of take that understanding and then utilize it, you know, because at that point, that's probably where the therapy and the medications and all those other things start to, I'm going to air quote, for anybody that is listening to this, I'm air quoting, work. I mean, and we have psychiatry in our office, and we do use medications and things like that. But at the end of the day, we've got to also be exploring our own experience. And so, you know, like you said, a lot of times people are medicated and they keep doing sort of a medication rotation looking for it when it really takes that lens turning in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now tell me, so what about trauma? How can we look at Mm -hmm. traumatic experiences, because I look at that and I go, okay, so trauma can also have anger as a side effect from it, right? Big T and little t trauma. Absolutely. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. Because, you know, I think trauma is getting more attention today, because we're able to talk about it. But I don't think people always associate that there's going to be anger as part of the emotional, you know, landscape of trauma.
0: Yeah, actually, I would say what causes PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, from trauma is the anger that's still there and has not been expressed. So two people can go through the same traumatic experience and one has PTSD one does not. I would say is the difference is one still has suppressed anger. So how do we unsuppress it? We talk through it. We talk about the most infuriating part. And it almost always is being betrayed by someone we trusted. And in order to feel betrayed, it has to be someone very close to us. So we don't get PTSD necessarily from being cut off on the freeway. We don't trust that person. We don't know that we'll get PTSD from someone we really trusted, an authority figure, a parent, a boss, you know, someone we really trusted and who betrayed us in some way, shape, or form. And and that is what I find is at the heart of a trauma. When I was an intern just starting, I remember I had a client who had PTSD from her birth. She had kind of a traumatic birth experience. And you know, she kept kind of, if you're familiar with this, you'll hear people with their PTSD just kind of ruminate and repeat what happened over and over. And it's like they get stuck. She was stuck on the nurse. The nurse had betrayed her. When you're giving birth, you're at your most vulnerable place in the world. She was so vulnerable and the nurse, I don't remember what the nurse did, but she somehow took away my client's agency to do what was best for her for her body for the baby in the moment and that was really the betrayal when you find that and you allow that person or if it's you express it in a word you get it out of your body into words and you share it with someone who hears you and validates your anger and doesn't try to talk you Out of it, which unfortunately a lot of therapists actually do that, and it's actually re traumatizing. So, you need someone who will get angry with you and for you, who hears you, who empathizes, who validates. And then, you know what, poof, it's gone. That PTSD is gone. It goes from PTSD to just a traumatic experience, but you're not traumatized, you're not carrying that around with you
1: anymore. So, I have a question. I was just as you were saying that, you know, obviously the trauma often comes from a betrayal. So I would think that somebody could have betrayal of their own ideals, right? And that in some way could almost be, I don't know if it would be PTSD, but let's say you had a, a certain ideal. So I'll use a good example, because we kind of think of PTSD, you always think of people in the military. And you could say, yes, some of it is maybe they, you know, they were betrayed by their superior or this or that or whatever, all those different things. But I, what I've found when I've talked to a lot of individuals that, you know, served particularly Afghanistan and in Iraq in the last war it's still going on. <laughs> but some a lot of it was the ideal. They felt like they were betrayed by their expression of what they felt the ideal American, mm-hmm. you know, American intervention and what they're mm-hmm. there for. So it, almost to the extent that it wasn't necessarily that they were upset with the government. Right. Like mm-hmm. they were. But it was but it was all of a sudden that that ideal that they carried was no longer valid to them through their experiences that were traumatic. Which is kind of a roundabout thing, but I was wondering if that could even be something that could be almost a PTSD-like experience for someone.
0: I haven't worked with that, but I can see that. I think also I want to add, I also see the trauma or suppressed anger as when we feel we have betrayed ourselves. That's a big one when we feel we have betrayed our own beliefs or morals and sometimes we really have and sometimes we haven't but we feel like we have so that's any kind of betrayal but that one
1: at ourselves is
0: is very common okay
1: okay that makes sense okay so yeah in a sort of roundabout way i was kind of asking that i was like oh wait didn't i have that experience also so you also brought up agency right the the sensation or the uh, the feeling of i have agency over my body and i think over my body my thoughts my expression what ways do people sort of step into either situations or relationships where they give up their agency? What are some ways people can sort of think of that? Because I don't think people think about that word and how it applies to their experience. All the time. And that is,
0: you know, yes, all the time. You know, it's funny, even if we're not aware of it intellectually or we're not missing in the moment, it's like our body knows and our body's angry, and so our body will start will start having headaches out of nowhere, stomach ache. Body speaks for us, really does, and it will tell us, "I'm angry." And you can medicate it away as much as you want, and our body's like, "Nope, you need to work in collaboration with me together to make things right."
1: Okay. Okay. Cool. So, I uh, so I have another question. So, obviously, we're talking about how to go through these experiences, learning your anger, expressing it. Looking at your depression, anxiety as possibly suppressed anger. So, what about the parent out there? You know, child free, so thankfully I don't have to worry about my influence on my own children. But you know, look at a lot of the women that I talk to, and they, many of the women that I'm working with, are you know have adult children now, or they're pretty darn close to adult. But I think you know, all of us would rather have the next generation be more resilient than we are. Yeah. So, how do you help children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews really learn how to be more resilient in this world? Yeah. And Especially probably get in touch with their anger and have appropriate responses with that.
0: Yeah. So I would like to answer that as first and foremost, the most powerful thing we can do as mothers, and I do have an adult child now, is is allow our kids to express their anger with us, you know, and to be that safe first person in their life. And it's never too late to do that. I just recently so my daughter's nineteen now. I just recently apologized to her and this is on my podcast. I talk about this. I apologize to her in depth for when I fell into my depressive episode back in the 2008, 2009, I lost myself and anyone who's been depressed or been around someone who's depressed, you become very narcissistic. You can't Anyone else? No one else exists because you're so sick, and you're just—you can't look outward. And I became a different person, and I lost myself. And she was five at the time, and I betrayed her. And at the time, I didn't realize it, but all I knew is she acted very differently. With she was not as loving and friendly suddenly with me, and I thought oh, it was just because she's six. I guess I don't know. And all I could do was see my own experience that I felt very rejected by her on top of the depression. So it became. You know, a me fast. It was all about my experience. I never thought, well, I actually betrayed her and she's actually angry with me. And that's why she is relating so differently to me. Anyway, all that said, when I got better, I wrote a letter and I just, you know, I emailed it to her and I just said, I am so sorry. I realize now that I absolutely betrayed you. And then when you were angry with me for years and I felt rejected, I would blow up at you for rejecting me. I've been so narcissistic. And I'm so sorry. I see that now. I'll do whatever it takes to earn back your trust and your your faith in me. And I have. And that's taken, you know, time to be a listener and not a talker around her, to not try to teach her about me and about what I've learned in life, but to hear about her experience. I've really had to reorient myself. And we're at a place now where we're so much better. And it's her what to do with her own anger. And I see that now I see how assertive she
1: is. And so, you know, if I could have been like that at 19. Oh, my God, my life would have been so much better. Yeah, you know, I was listening to one of your conversations about boundaries and you were talking with your friend about boundaries and I think your girlfriend was coming to visit and it was like, okay, I need to put some some parameters around another friend that was along for the ride. And, you know, you had made this statement, that, you know, is a sentence. <laughs> you know. No, it is a complete sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this. We need to, so for the women out there, again, we might have a few men, but for the women out there that just, like, because the other thing that we get labeled as, particularly as women, is if we're assertive, we're a bitch. Oh, well, can't please everyone. Right, right. It's like, uh, you know, we are a bitch, but somebody, a man is just being,
0: a yeah, and but you know, so being true to ourselves, not betraying ourselves, is gonna piss people off. It is, and we're gonna have to be okay with disappointing people. You know, a lot of us were raised, don't disappoint mom and dad. Don't disappoint. Don't disappoint. You know what? In order to be our authentic selves and not betray ourselves and therefore not be depressed and not be anxious, we're going to have to make some people mad. You know, the new me, Betty, I am the new 50. I'm going to be 53 very soon. I wasn't always like this. I wasn't always as confident and assertive as I am now. And I have noticed that some men do not enjoy being around me. They think I'm way too opinionated or what have you. And you know what? I'm sorry. That's who I am. If you don't
1: like that, so sorry to disappoint. That's a you problem. And we're going to have to be okay with that. Yeah, because I think coming out of that assertive, you know, holding true what's true for you and making sure that you continue to have agency allows for more heartfelt, deeper relationships, which is kind of where I want to take that now. Because the other side of it is like, well, if I let everybody know how they make me feel, then I won't have any good relationships. And that's not true because actually it gives you new ground in which to have that. So talk about it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. So first of all, surrounding
0: yourself with people who really uh, can really appreciate the real you is so amazing to not compromise yourself to not have to pander to make this person happy withhold around this person and to be true to ourselves we're going to feel better than we ever have however not everyone's going to like that. That's for real. So we're we're going to have to find those people in our lives who like us as we are, who really are genuine, who we can be genuine around. And that's going to be a smaller circle. It will. Because a lot of people are threatened. Men and women are threatened by someone who is assertive and um, confident. And then there's some people who like, I idealize someone like that too. So then you have other people who like you too much. And that's kind of weird too. You're just going to have to see all that And be yourself and and, and not pander to an audience. Life is too
1: short. There's an audience of one that we should have. And that's that's being true to ourselves. That's such a good statement. That's a mic drop statement right there. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me. So if you were to take my listeners and say, "Okay, so if you're going to open Pandora's box and you're going to, you know, sort of explore these things, we talked a little bit about the avenue of like stepping into it. So what are ways that a family unit could do this? Right. Because, again, if if you're learning how to express yourself and how to do this, you know, most of us are doing it within families because you obviously do marriage counseling also as well. Or have in the past, I bet, would bet. We have in the past, yes. Yes, in the past. Not not right now, but like how, you know, if a family was like, okay, we're going to start doing this, how would you recommend they start, maybe because maybe they're not working with a, a counselor or a therapist. Mm-hmm. How can they possibly do that as a group and say, okay, we're going to like, do they have like a family night? We sit around the table and we all get to express something. It would work out, would be helpful. I think a family night or just like a Kvetch
0: session scheduled
1: every week would be ideal.
0: But I think first and foremost, it, it's everyone saying you know what? We're family. Of course, we're going to piss each other off. Of course, I made my husband mad. Of course, my daughter's angry at me. Of course, I'm angry at them. Like just the mindset of being like, we're going to schedule a grief session, a gripe, gripe session. And we're all going to have grapes because that's how we are. That's how humans are. That's not like, that doesn't make us bad. That doesn't make us a dysfunctional family. It doesn't make me dysfunctional. It's actually human nature that when we're around other people for you know more than an hour, we frustrate each other. And remember getting back to we're angry whenever the real and the ideal deviate, which is all the time. So see that as normal. Yeah, let's get together and talk about how maybe I frustrated you, how I've hurt you. I'm going to be open to listening to that. That doesn't make me bad or shameful. It doesn't make you bad or shameful. So that needs to be number one. Number two, the language we use. So we got to start with, you know, I feel statements. So I feel, instead of attacking language, like you did this, you know, just I feel disappointed when I told you I wanted to go thrift store shopping and I didn't hear from you, you know. So just couch it in language that leads with feelings. And anger is always a secondary emotion. So under the anger is hurt. It's always hurt. So don't be afraid of the anger. Find out what is fueling the anger. Find out what hurt feelings are fueling the
1: anger. Don't let the anger, you know, scare you away. Okay, that's great. So that's, so everybody, so if you're like, okay, we're going to tackle this in the family, that's the way to get started is to have a kvetch section. A session and let everybody sort of pass the stick and talk about it. So I want to make sure that my listeners have an opportunity to find you online and find your information. Tell them about your podcast because it's fun. I mean, it's, it's fun, informative, and also, you know, boundary pushing and all those other things. So tell them about your podcast.
0: Yeah, so I'm just trying to get all this info that we discussed and more out through my podcast. It's just my passion project to not limit it just to my clients because I can only see so many clients. I really want to get this out to the public and especially to people, you know, don't think many therapists are that good was my experience and remains to be that my experience today with what I hear from my clients. So don't just sign up for a therapist and think that's going to do it. You might not have a good experience. A lot of therapists don't know a lot of this, this. So this podcast is for anyone who wants to maybe bypass the therapist experience or augment it or someone who is a therapist. I needed someone to help me when I was my internship learning this kind of stuff
1: so the podcast is called angry at the right things yes it is a good podcast i've been listening to it for the last couple weeks thank you. i'm really happy and like i said i i like the topic because i have always told people i'm like you know when i in something anger for me is what helps me move forward right if i don't get to that at least that expression of it i feel that's where i feel stuck and so i'm always like what is it get angry okay get moving and so I don't know if that's the right thing, but that's always. Helped. No, I We're, think I
0: think that's probably exactly true. When we don't allow ourselves to get angry, we are stuck.
1: I think you're exactly right, Betty. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I can't stand feeling stuck. I'm like, nope, nope. That's just a really uncomfortable position for me to be in for any length of time. So, well, I'm so glad I had you on the show today, Bronwyn. And everybody, if you want to check out the podcast, it's called Angry at the Right Things. And it's on all the podcast platforms. Take mm-hmm. so you- you put it out. Is it every week or every two weeks? Um, it's kind of whenever I get around to it. But okay. Yeah, yeah, Okay, cool, 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 cool. Well, thank you for being on. I This has been a great conversation. And I think my audience will definitely love to explore how they, you know, might be suppressing a little bit of their anger. We all do it. So thank you for having me, Betty. All right. Thank you for listening to Menopause Mastery. If you found this episode engaging, exciting, please share it. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you really loved it, leave me a review. Five stars would be fabulous. Thanks, and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here, and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD, and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com.